We're going to read from Psalm 112 today. Psalm 112. And Psalm 112 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Now, we want to all find ourselves in the first part of those verses, not that last part, right? So you notice here that the Lord gives us things to give to others. That's basically what this psalm is about. And it's quoted in the New Testament used that way. That when the Lord gives us things, he fills our house with riches so that we can bless others, bless the poor in the land. That's what we should be known for as Christians, people who use the things that God gives us to bless others. So that's a good psalm, a good reminder for today. So we're going to worship the Lord together with some songs. First, let's pray the Lord's, pl- Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Wonder, awestruck wonder, 
Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he was given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, a few years back, I heard that there were like 40 men that proclaimed they were Messiah. This was before Jesus' death. And afterwards, I, I found out that there were thousands, possibly, that proclaimed the same thing after his death. But there was only one person that died and became alive afterwards by the Spirit and of God. In communion, we take the emblems of remembrance, body and blood. By his great love, he died for us. By the power of the Spirit, he rose again. Whenever two or three of you gathered, he's there too. Think about his sacrifice. Meditate on its meaning. Remember, he is coming back. And know you are not alone. And do this in remembrance of him. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son who sacrificed his life for us. We pray that you bless this bread and this cup. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Matthew 25 Ministries, we're always collecting empty pill bottles um, to donate to them. 
um, there is a bin in the foyer that um, you can place them in. Used ink cartridges, we also collect them to help reduce um, costs for office supplies. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. If you want to come and serve, if you want to come and see what we do, if you want to drop off donations, they can be dropped off during that time too. Linda, you're starting early. <laughs> Any kids going down to Children's Church can go now with Linda. Thank you for serving there. <laughs> um, refit free dance fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions, you can talk to Chris or Kristen. <laughs> um, empty nesters, um, continuing their Women of the Bible study, Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. If you have any questions about that or missed anything, you can contact Sharon. Um, they will be studying uh, Miriam this week. There is a, another group of ladies meeting every other Monday night at Starbucks. If you're interested in that, let me know. We have a new ladies Facebook page. It's private, um, more for um, prayers, encouragement, and to discuss the Bible and the book, these books that we're studying. Um, food and Fellowship Italian theme this Wednesday, March 15th from 6 to 8 here in the sanctuary. Please sign up if you're coming. Please sign up what you're bringing so we can all make sure we have enough to eat um, and look forward to seeing each other. Community Garden Planning Meeting is next Monday, March 20th at 6.30. Um, we're gonna be having that here in the sanctuary. It's for the whole community or anyone who would like to participate in that. Um, there's no sign up, just show up. You can ask questions. There'll be a presentation on what we're planning on doing, um, but you may have some answers, so I may need to look to you on some things. I don't know how to garden. So this is gonna be for the church and for the community. So if you know anything about it, come, because we'll need your wisdom. Mellon Ridge Ministry, March 26th at 2, um, bringing worship to the residents of Mellon Ridge facility here in the Goshen area. Lunch is provided following the service, and if you can please sign up at the welcome table so we know how much lunch to have. Um, if you haven't been, it's, it's okay to start now. So if you have any questions at all, just let me know. Good Friday service, April 7th at 7 p.m., um, if you have any questions, you can contact Josh in regards to like the agenda, what's going to happen for that evening. This will be our first one, so I look forward to it. Goshen Community Easter Egg Hunt is April 8th at 11 a.m. We are at Heartland. We're collecting 5,000 eggs. Um, you can bring them empty. You can bring them filled. Um, so there's a table in the foyer for... Um, collection of eggs or candy, stickers, small toys that will fit inside the eggs. Um, breakfast fellowship, first Sunday of every month at 9.30. Breakfast is always better when we eat together. We do a lot of eating together here. <laughs> but it's one way to get to know everybody. So um, March uh, 2023 Heartland event calendar is available at the welcome table in the foyer, as well as everything's updated online. So you can check either of those places for the events. Four ways to give in person, online, via text, and on the Faith Life app. So let's get, uh, get started here, get into the Word. Let's turn together our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 23 through 32. 1 Corinthians 3, sorry, 11, 23 through 32. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, Communion is Crucial for Christians. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 32, the Scriptures say, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Why is communion crucial for Christians? And maybe you've never thought about that question. Maybe you think communion is not really that big of a deal. You know, some, a, a nice thing that we do, nice thing for us to have every Sunday, but you wouldn't call it crucial for Christians. Well, in today's passage, Paul shows us four reasons why communion is crucial for Christians. We're going to talk about those things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. As we study the subject of communion, we ask you to show us the truth and to give us the grace to believe and live out that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first reason communion is crucial for Christians is in communion, we celebrate Christ. And one of the other names for communion is the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist comes from a Greek word that means to give thanks. And we find that in every account in the Bible where communion is mentioned, giving thanks is also mentioned. For example, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 24, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it. So the first thing Jesus did when, with the bread of, commun- of the communion meal is give thanks. And he did the same thing with the cup. Communion is a time to give thanks. Now, the meal where Jesus instituted communion was a very special meal to the Lord's people under the Old Covenant. It was the Passover meal. The Passover was a time to give thanks to the Lord and celebrate what he did for his people when he delivered them and freed them from bondage in Egypt. Under the new covenant, communion is the new Passover. So in communion, we give thanks to the Lord and we celebrate all that he did for us to deliver us and free us from bondage, bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, and bondage to demons and death. But through Christ's incarnation, his life, suffering, death, and resurrection, We're now freed from our bondage to our enemies, and we're free to walk in newness of life. So communion should be a time to give joyful thanks to the Lord and celebrate Christ for what he's done. Someone has rightly said, communion is a fiesta, not a funeral. But too often, we treat communion like a funeral. We think about the death of Jesus with somber looks on our faces the sad memories of what he suffered for us. Now, we should take communion seriously. We're going to talk about more, that more here in a minute. But we should never be sad when we take communion. Why? Well, because, yes, Jesus suffered for our sins. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, Jesus was buried. But his suffering, death, and burial were only the beginning of what Jesus would accomplish for us when he rose from the grave. See, Jesus is not dead any longer. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Jesus is enthroned in heaven at the right hand of the Father. The Son of God has trampled down death by his death, and through the cross, he's destroyed the devil's works. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world, and the King of kings has conquered the grave through his resurrection. And that is a reason not to be sad, but to celebrate So when we take communion, we should be giving joyful thanks and celebrating Christ for all he's done for us and all that he's going to do for us through his suffering death and resurrection. We should be thanking and celebrating Christ for our liberation from sin, our liberation from Satan, from demons, and from death. Thanking and celebrating King Jesus for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And thanking and celebrating King Jesus because he will soon come again in glory. That's the first reason communion is crucial for Christians. In communion, we celebrate Christ. The second reason communion is crucial for Christians is in communion, we remember Christ. In the second part of both 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, Paul tells us that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. There's a lot of things that we could remember when we take communion. 
But I want us to focus in on two of the most important reminders communion gives us. First, we remember Christ's cross. In communion, we remember the price of our redemption, the price Christ chose to pay to be the author of eternal life for those who obey him. We remember it's our sins that caused the sinless Son of God to be slain. We remember we owe our lives to the risen Christ. So Jesus shed his blood on the cross to free us from all of our enemies. And when we hold the bread and the cup of communion in our hands, we should remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for our freedom. We should remember the cross. The second thing we should remember as we remember Christ in communion is we remember Christ's covenant. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, 25, Paul tells us Jesus said this about the cup of communion. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So when we turn from our sins and trust in Christ, and when we're united with Christ in baptism, we enter into a covenant with Christ. And our covenant with Christ is a relationship where he voluntarily binds himself to us, and we voluntarily bind ourselves to him. And in this relationship, the Lord obligates himself to do certain things, and we obligate ourselves to do certain things. There are some exceedingly great and precious promises made in this covenant, and there are also conditions that we must meet to receive these promises. And it's the blood of Christ that gives us access to the many promises of the new covenant. So we've already talked about the blood of the covenant, how it gives us access to forgiveness and freedom from our enemies. Christ's blood also gives us access to peace with God. In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, Paul says this about Jesus, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we're reconciled or brought back into a right relationship with God through the blood of Christ. And we have peace, peace not only with God, but also with one another through the blood of the covenant. Christ's blood also gives us access to citizenship among God's people. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, At one time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, we who were not a people now have citizenship among God's people. We've been brought near to God and his people through the blood of Christ. Now through Christ, what he's done in the church, Jews and Gentiles alike now have access to the same God and Father, to the same Spirit, through what Jesus did on the cross. The shed blood of Christ gives us access to these and many more precious promises as part of the new covenant. And whenever we take communion we're reminded of the blood Christ shed for us to establish the new covenant. And we're reminded that Christ will be faithful to fulfill every promise of that covenant. Somewhere Paul said that all the promises of God are yes in him. Every promise that God has given his people is yes. So we speak the amen because we know that Jesus will fulfill his covenant to us. But when we take communion, we should also remember this. If we want the promises of the covenant, well, we've got to do what Christ expects from us. And what does Christ expect from us? Well, let me sum it up for you in one sentence. Christ expects us to continually love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to show our love for him by obeying his commandments. That, in a nutshell, is the Christian life. Now, there's no question that Christ will remain faithful to the covenant. The question is, will we remain faithful to the covenant? So you can't have a covenant, this is like a marriage relationship. You can't have a marriage relationship where only one person is involved in that relationship. So will we continue to love Christ and show our love for him by obeying everything he commands? That's the question we all need to answer. And communion is crucial for Christians because it helps us to remain faithful to the covenant. Because every time we take communion, we're reminding ourselves of our obligation to love Christ and to live for Christ by obeying his commandments. 
Whenever we take communion, we should be asking Christ to strengthen us to do just that. Communion is crucial for Christians because, it's, because in communion, we remember the cross and the covenant of Christ. Now, the third reason communion is crucial for Christians is in communion, we receive Christ. In Colossians 10, 16, Paul says, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, this verse is the basis for our calling the Lord's Supper communion. The bread and cup are the communion of the body and blood of Christ. But what does this word communion mean? Well, the Greek word behind this word means a sharing in or a participating in something. The Christian Standard Bible brings out this meaning in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? So Paul teaches us that by partaking of the bread and the cup of communion, we share in the, bo- the blood or the body and blood of Christ. And this is what Jesus was talking about in John 6, 51 to 57 when he said this. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. So Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. This is taking us back to the Old Testament where God rained manna down from down from heaven every day to feed his people. Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. And he came to give his body and his blood for the life of the world. And Jesus says, only those who eat his flesh and drink his blood have eternal life in them. Only those who eat his flesh and drink his blood will live forever. Only those who eat his flesh and drink his blood remain in him and he in them. Only those who continue to feed on him will live because of him. You see how Jesus is drilling this down. He's, he's not... He's saying it over and over. He's saying the same thing over and over again. And since all these things are true, the most important question we could ever ask is the same question the Jews asked. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, what's the answer to that question? The answer is communion. The answer is the cup of blessing which we bless is a sharing in the blood of Christ, and the bread we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. So Jesus gives us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink and the bread and the cup of communion. What this means is in some unexplainable and mysterious way, some miraculous way, Christ is really present in the elements of communion, communicating himself to us in a way that we receive his life into us. So in communion, we receive the life-giving and healing benefits of the body and blood of Christ because in communion we receive Christ. Now, when Jesus said this to the Jews, a lot of them walked away from him at that point. They said, this guy, we can't listen to this anymore. We're not going to listen to him. So he looks at Peter and says, are you, are you guys going to walk away too? And so Peter says, who are we going to go to? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. So what Jesus taught his disciples about this, this is what we need to embrace that this is the truth, that Jesus is present in these elements when we take them. And how that works, how Jesus is really present in the bread and wine, I cannot even pretend to know. But I don't need to know how it works or how God does it because the one who has the words of eternal life tells us that this is what these things are. See, I don't know how God does a lot of things. I don't know how God hangs the earth from nothing. I don't know how God is present everywhere all at the same time. And I don't know how God knows the end from the beginning, how he hears all of our thoughts at once, 
or how God's divine son united himself with humanity by becoming a baby in a virgin's womb. I don't know how God does any of those miraculous things. And that's the point. Those things are miraculous. They lie beyond our human ability to explain or understand. But I accept that God does all those things, not because I have some airtight explanation that appeases my rational mind. It's not rational. None of that stuff's rational. But I accept that God does those things because that's what God's Word says about those things. And I believe God's Word is true. And in the same way, I don't know how the bread and the cup of communion are Christ's body and blood, or exactly how Christ is present in these elements. I just, I just accept what Jesus and his apostles said about these elements. Jesus said the bread is his body and the cup is his blood. His apostles said the bread and cup are the body and blood of the Lord, and the bread we break and the cup we drink is a sharing in the body and blood of Christ. See, that's a truth we've got to accept by faith. It's not something that we can try to explain. No scientist is going to study the communion and say, oh, look, this is still what, there's no, it's still, it's still bread and wine. Stuff like that is ridiculous. We need to accept by faith that Jesus does what he says he's going to do with these things. Now, I used to say that the bread and cup of communion represent Christ's body and blood. We've all said that, I think, right? Represents, and these things are merely symbols of his body and blood. And why did I say that? Did I say that because the scriptures say that? No, the scriptures don't say that. I said that because that's what I was taught to say. That's how I was taught to interpret John 6 and other scriptures that we've read today. But I'm not, I can no longer use represent or symbolic to describe communion. Because when we say the bread and cup represent the body and blood of Jesus or are merely symbolic, well, we set ourselves against the witness of the scriptures and the witness of the early church. Listen again what Paul says about communion in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. See, notice Paul calls the bread and the cup of communion the body and the blood of the Lord. And also notice Paul says, those who eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner are guilty of sin against, not symbols, but they're guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. And again, we see the bread and the cup are the body and blood of the Lord. So since the bread, bread and the cup of communion are the body and blood of the Lord, Paul says we should examine ourselves before we eat and drink communion to be sure that we don't do it in an unworthy manner manner. But what does it mean to eat and drink communion in an unworthy manner? Now, we often talk about examining ourselves to see if we have sin in our lives before we take communion. And that's not a bad thing. But that's not the examination Paul has in mind. See, Paul explains what he means in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29. He says, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment. On himself. So to eat and drink communion in an unworthy manner is to take it without recognizing that the bread and the cup are what Paul just told us they are. The bread is the body of the Lord and the cup is the blood of the Lord. So we should examine ourselves to make sure we recognize these elements are the body and blood of Christ. That's Paul's point in this entire passage. So if you read the context of Corinthians they were celebrating this meal as if it's just a common thing. People going there getting drunk and all kind of crazy stuff. So Paul's saying, no, you got to understand that this is the body and the blood of the Lord that you're dealing with here. you got to treat it with, you got to see it for what it is. Because to treat the bread and cup of communion as if they were something less than the body and blood of the Lord, to treat them as a common thing is to eat and drink them in an unworthy manner, sin against the Lord's body and blood, and bring judgment on yourself. See, in some mysterious, miraculous way, these really are the body and blood of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. And this is how the early church universally understood both Jesus' and Paul's word about communion. Now, an early Christian named Justin, who became later uh, known as Justin Martyr because he was martyred for his faith. So Justin, writing around the year 156 A.D., 
said this about the bread and cup of communion. She said, For not as common bread nor common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made incarnate by the Word of God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so too as we have been taught the food which has been, which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer set down by Him, and by the change of which our blood and flesh is nourished, is the flesh and the blood of that incarnated Jesus Christ. See, Justin wrote these words to a Roman emperor named Antonius Pius. Justin wrote this, what's called his first apology, to thoroughly explain what Christians believe and how they lived. And he did this because he was trying to convince the emperor to stop persecuting Christians. In other words, what Justin writes here, he's not getting it wrong. He didn't get it wrong. This is what Christians teach. This is what we've been taught. This is what's been handed down to us. And what Justin teaches about the Eucharist was the faith that had been handed down to him. This is what he'd been taught about communion from those who knew the apostles. This is what he'd been taught. So both the witness of the Scriptures and the early Christians show us the church has always taught that the bread and cup of communion are the body and the blood of the Lord through which we receive the nourishing life of Christ. And it's not until you get to after Martin Luther that you start to see people teaching something different. So, like I said earlier, when we say these things are merely symbolic, we set ourselves against the witness of Scripture and the witness of the historic church. And this is why Paul says we must examine ourselves before we take communion. Because if we don't recognize that these elements are the body and the blood of the Lord, instead of receiving nourishment from the Lord through communion, we bring judgment on ourselves. And notice the judgment this brought on the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul says, This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. See, many among the Corinthians were sick and ill, and some of them had even died. Why? Well, as Paul says, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. See, the Corinthians were being judged by the Lord because they did not recognize the body of the Lord and the bread and cup of communion. They were eating and drinking sickness, illness, and death on themselves because they were sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that is some serious business. So again, Paul says, examine yourselves when you take communion. Make sure you recognize those elements are holy. Make sure you recognize those elements are Christ's body and blood. Because to eat and drink the bread and wine of communion as if they were something less than the body and blood of, of the Lord is to eat and drink them in an unworthy manner. And if you do that, you bring judgment on yourselves. And like the Corinthians, we all need to examine ourselves when we take communion. I'm just going to say it like it is. We've been taught wrong about this. I've taught wrong about this. I've taught you all wrong things about this. This is the truth. This is what has been handed down to us from the church. The truth is, these are not just symbols. It's not just something we can play around with. People can die from eating communion in a wrong way, taking it in the wrong way, right? Isn't that what Paul said? Do any of us treat communion that way? Just, this is, do we treat it that way? Do we, when we handle these little, this cup and this, this thimble, do we handle this as if this is Christ's body and blood? We don't, but that's because we've been taught wrong. We need to know the truth, which we're hearing from the scriptures. We need to make sure we recognize the bread and cup of communion or what they are, what, what the Scriptures say they are. The Scriptures say these elements are the body and the blood of the Lord. And we can never go wrong saying what the Scriptures say. So we need to recognize them as what they are so we don't eat and drink judgment on ourselves. See, we want, to, we want to eat the bread and drink the cup of communion in a worthy manner because when we do, they communicate the healing and life-giving benefits of Christ's body and blood to us. As Justin Martyr said, our blood and flesh is nourished by the flesh and blood of Christ. When we recognize it through the bread and cup of communion, we receive Christ. So when we take communion in a worthy manner, God communicates his grace to us through bread and wine. Christ is present in the bread and cup to strengthen us spiritually and physically. Christ is present in the bread and cup to heal us spiritually and physically. Christ is present in the bread and cup, giving his life as we feed on him. So through the bread of communion, we share in Christ's body. And through the cup of communion, we share in Christ's blood. 
In communion, we receive Christ. So that's the third reason communion is crucial for Christians. In communion, we receive Christ. And that brings us to the fourth and final reason communion is crucial for Christians. In communion, we proclaim Christ. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we take communion, we proclaim the good news about the death of Christ and what that means for us. Whenever we take communion, we proclaim the forgiveness of sins. We proclaim freedom from, from captivity. We, we proclaim reconciliation with God through Christ. Whenever we take communion, we proclaim the grace of God, the salvation of God, and the union with God we now have through the body of Christ. We also proclaim, proclaim the hope that is only found in Christ. Because not only do we proclaim Christ's death when we take communion, we also proclaim Christ's return. We proclaim his death, notice what Paul says, we proclaim his death until he comes. See, part of this covenant that we talked about earlier is Christ's promise to come again in glory. He's going to come again in glory and make our lowly bodies like his glorious body and renew the whole creation. See, every time we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death, resurrection, and return, and the ultimate redemption of humanity and all creation. So when we take communion, we should be anticipating this glorious day, and this goes back to the fiesta over the funeral. It's not a funeral. We should be anticipating things when we take communion. When we're anticipating the day when in the twinkling of an eye, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will come again. And on that day, we'll be changed. We'll be like Him, and we'll see Him as He is. Hearing that message should fill us with great hope, with great joy. That's what we should think about every time we take communion. Now, as we close, let me ask you again, why is communion crucial for Christians? Hopefully, you can see by what, what I've just said here today that it, it is a crucial thing. We all have, we need communion, we got to have it. Communion is crucial for Christians because in communion, we celebrate Christ. We rejoice and are thankful for all He's done for us through His incarnation, His life, His death, and His resurrection. Communion is also crucial for Christians because in communion, we remember Christ. We remember Christ's cross and His covenant. And we ask for God's grace for for us to stay faithful to that covenant. Communion is crucial for Christians because in communion, we receive Christ. And this is the most crucial thing of all. As we receive the bread and the cup of communion, we receive Christ and the life-giving and healing benefits of Christ's body and blood. Through communion, we receive Him who is eternal life. And finally, communion is crucial for Christians because in communion, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim the Lord's death, His resurrection, and His return. We proclaim everything that He's done for us through the cross and through His life, death, and resurrection. Taking communion to fill us with hope as we look forward to the glorious day of His appearing. When, again, He makes our body like his glorious body. He's got our loved ones who fell asleep in Christ. They're going to come with him. It's going to be a great and glorious day. We're all looking forward to that day. And that's why communion is crucial for Christians. And that's why communion should be the center of our worship, the highlight of our week, and the focus of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for the grace that you give us in communion. Help us to recognize communion for what it truly is that it's a sharing in the body and the blood of the Lord. Help us always to take communion in a worthy manner as we celebrate, remember, receive, and proclaim Christ until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so they're going to sing a final song. Uh, Before they do that, I just want to invite anybody who wants to, if you want to come forward for prayer, you're welcome to do that. If you don't know how uh, to get into a relationship with the Lord, I want to invite you to do that as well. We'll be available afterwards to, um, to talk to you about that. Uh, If you need healing for anything, if you want to ask the Lord to give you the benefits of what we just talked about, the benefits of the covenant, one of those is the healing that he promises us, not only for physical sickness, but spiritual sickness. We need to get the sin out of our lives if it's there. He said if we confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, we will be healed. We invite you to come forward and do that. Somebody will be up here to pray for you. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
I see the world on the edge of revival I think it's only a matter of time So do what only you can 